Today we're going to be starting in the Gospel of John, chapter 14. So I guess it's safe to say that this is the come hell or high water crew that we have today. <laughs> Pun intended. Uh, I will tell you that last night, uh, boy, really an exercise in faith. My, uh, our home is situated about eight feet lower than the road, and we have a driveway that brings all the water down, and we have a drainage system. And for 11 years, we've been living by faith and had a few close calls with the water getting in our house. But uh, last night, doing a little water bailing, I put on my raincoat and uh, was out there and considering digging a trench around the garage because I wasn't sure if the, the drain was going to fail. But it is really an exercise in, in faith uh, living there for the last 11 years. Uh, so we, we did good so far to some sandbags in front of my garage, uh, but other than that, we're okay. And next Sunday, uh, don't miss it, we're, really, we're going to be in Matthew 24, which I'm really looking forward to. A lot of science in that chapter, a lot of things that Jesus speaks about. We're going to talk about seismic uh, activity, we're going to talk about tectonic plates, we're going to talk about uh, just a lot of the things that we see happening, uh, getting together and, and increasing with frequency and intensity. So we're going to see that uh, Christ 2,000 years ago predicts these things with a, a, amazing uh, gravity, amazing detail, uh, even the recent earthquake that we had last Tuesday in this area. Uh, so it's a lot of, lot of fun. I uh, can't wait for it, so just want to make sure that a lot of people are here before we go into it because it's very juicy, a lot of good stuff in there. Okay. It, it even sounds different in here with less people. The echo is different. But what are we looking at? As, and, you know, I, I kind of was praying about what to speak about, and, and maybe this is a little bit of a, a regrouping. Um, maybe for those of you who've been believers for a long time, just to help us to kind of get back and uh, refocus. Uh, I think that there is going to be a great sifting in the Christian community. Uh, and as we look at the Christian community, Vinny taught Wednesday. Uh, on some of the, the signs of the times and uh, what's going on in the Christian community, it's become very commercialized. It's become, to someone who's not a believer, sometimes they look at Christianity and get turned off. And, and that's appropriate because that's what's kind of happening. You know, there's some chaff that needs to blow away. And uh, when God does a great work, he usually sifts his people because when he calls on us to do something, um, we need to be sifted, we need to be stretched. So we're going to look at some of the verses in John's gospel, uh, 1 John, as well as John 14 and 15. Um, 2 Chronicles 16.9 says that God scans pretty much. He looks across the face of the whole, the whole earth, seeking to someone that he can use to show himself strong and great through. Uh, and if that's the case, then if things are going to get interesting here, we should examine our relationship with our Lord. So, I want to start off with a little story. I've, I've kind of told it before. It is a true story. And then we'll move on to the message and, and how it plays out. So, several years ago, I'm on patrol and I'm running radar. I really don't like writing tickets. Uh, it's something that's part of my job description. I usually give people breaks. But I'm running radar and I see a car coming towards me. I'm, I'm perpendicular, stationary. And the car is coming towards me. And because of the way the road is set up in this portion of town, uh, because they're kind of curvy, I can see something's wrong, but I really don't know what it is until he gets closer. Then I realize he's on the wrong side of the road. <laughs> so quickly, I have to do something. And 
Uh, at first I thought, you know, you always want to keep your emotions down. And I said, well, maybe he's from England. Maybe it's not that bad. Uh, so he buzzes by me and I pull out, pull him over. Thank God he, he stops quickly. As I get up to the car, he's moving around, very agitated. And I see his, he's barefoot, his feet are on the pedals, and I see all his toes wiggling. So I'm thinking, okay, another mental note. It's a little weird. But then I think, well, maybe he's from California. Uh, so I'm trying to rationalize this, and as I go up to the car, I introduce myself, and he goes, the son of man obeys no traffic laws. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, okay. I immediately call for backup, <laughs> because people who are insane don't feel pain, and um, I also was concerned that the guys back in the station know I'm a Christian, and I didn't want it to get around the station that my Lord and Savior kicked my butt on the side of the highway. So I call for backup, and obviously he's one of about five people that I've met in my 20-year career that thought they were Jesus Christ. But I would ask this question, how did I know that he wasn't really Jesus, right? Maybe he said the right things, maybe he quoted some scripture. What if I missed him? What if I dissed him, even worse? The truth is that 1 Thessalonians uh, 4 tells us that Christ will come in the clouds of the air for his believers. That with the voice of an archangel and a trumpet blast. It says nothing in the scripture about a guy in Middlesex County driving a beat up Toyota on the side of the highway. So I know Christ because I have a relationship with him. So there's your answer. The more we know who he is. Now, what about when we read in the, you know, we go through the checkout counter and you look at the inquirer and it says, you have a picture of a guy in sandals and a robe, and he's out in Jerusalem, and he's doing miracles. You know, a lot of people will be fooled by that. Well, it's the second coming of Christ. Again, if you know what the Word says, and you have a relationship with him, you won't be fooled. In Matthew 24, Jesus says, he goes, don't be deceived. Because in perilous times, in the last days, a lot of these things will happen. And true believers who have a relationship with him need to be able to know who the real Jesus is by or versus who the false Jesus is. And we know through the word. Now, I'm going to say that I believe that in the times that we live in, our faith is under attack. Uh, there's all kinds of weird stuff coming from pulpits. You can click on, I find myself, and it's sad that I have to do this, uh, as a ministry. Oh, they're a Christian ministry. I find myself doing research on them because there's a lot of quackery out there. And this is what we're going to be dealing with. Five ways that we're going, to, we're going to talk about, we're going to go through them systematically to really understand our relationship with him. So the first one is going to be in John chapter 14, starting with verse 22. Three verses. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. For he who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. I love, in jurisprudence, we would call this redirecting the witness. Jesus always had a way of, when a question was asked of him, he would have them redirect and focus into what was important. So we look at this, and number one, one way we can understand what type of relationship we have with our Lord is, do we keep his word? 
You see, Jesus puts the world into two categories. Now, we see on the news that the news tries to put the world into two categories. Black, white, Republicans, Democrats, blue states, red states. But the truth is, there's only truly two categories that the world is in. Those that love him and those that don't. Jesus makes these sharp dichotomies where there's no wiggle room. There's no loopholes. That's what I love about my Lord. He was a man's man. He would say it and he would stick by it. He was the word of God. So Jesus gives us a, a litmus test on whether we love him by whether we keep his word or not. Now, how do we say that we love the Lord if we're believers, if we're not following his word? If we don't know enough about his word to know what he says, how do we know that we're really even following him? Important questions. The word has to be our foundation. 1 John 2, jump to 1 John. We're going to be going back and forth a little bit. Same Holy Spirit, same disciple, different letter to a different group of people. 1 John 2, 3. He ramps it up a little bit. In verse 3 through 4, he says, the disciple John says, Now by this we know that we know him. We know Jesus. We have a relationship with him. If we keep his commandments, he who says, oh, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. So he ramps it up. He uses the word liar. Now, two things that you never want to be called as a believer and as a new believer, I was called a hypocrite once and I got mad first, probably called it a few times. But then when I thought about it, I realized the person was right, went back to him later and said, I'm sorry, I was being a hypocrite. So two things, as a believer, we never want to be called. Number one is hypocrite. That means we're pretending. The other, word, the other one is liar. Because God is truth. And if we're to reflect the light of Christ, we're supposed to live in truth. And Christians who are liars and hypocrites are not attractive to the unsaved world. So that's important. You know, there was um, Saul Alinsky, who's a radical, years ago wrote uh, a book called Handbook for Radicals. And he said, to, the way to hurt a Christian, the way to trip them up, is to make them stay by their word. Because if they love Jesus and they're truly Christians, they have to keep their word. So what he said was in his rule book, was if you want to hurt someone who has a strong adherence to the faith, make them keep their word, because they will if they're truly believers. Now, he had bad motives, but what a testament to true believers. If we love the word, if we love the Lord, we'll keep his word. I love the pragmatism here. It's simple yet deep. Now, I would look at this, you know, when, again, have to understand relationships. We have a relationship with God. He's, he created us. So if we love our spouse and we love our kids, where do we think that original relationship came from? To be close to someone, to share, to love, to have joy, right? To grow old together. It comes from the fact that our primary relationship is from God to us. Now, some find that weird. You have a relationship with God. How could you? Because he's the one who authored relationships. It's really not that hard to understand. That should be the primary relationship that we look to. Now, I'm going to go back and forth between some of my relationships and make an analogy. Sometimes my wife and I will you know, have a few days off, and she'll have nothing to do, and we both have nothing to do. So I'll say, well, what do you want to do tonight? And she'll say, well, what do you want to do tonight? Well, let's go get something to eat. Well, where do you want to go? Well, where do you want to go? You see, when you love someone, you ask them what's in their interest. You don't always say, well, this is what I want to do. 
because you look to the other person and you love them. See, a lot of you have, have had these conversations and you'll sit there for five minutes. What do you want to do? What do you really want? To, what do you really want to eat? You know, what are you in the mood for? When it comes to the Lord, do we ever stop and say, Lord, what do you want me to do today? Now, the truth is, if, if he spoke to us as he did to Moses inaudibly, he would probably say, well, why don't you read my word? Why don't you meditate on my word? Why don't you think about what I wrote in this book through inspired men of the Holy Spirit and tell me what you're going to learn from me today? God loves that. God loves that. You see, have it your way may work for Burger King, but it doesn't work for our relationship with the Lord. And there's so many out there that are not following the word and they're doing it their own way. And God looks down and he sees thousands of religions with a bunch of men who wear flowing robes and hats and different things, and they do it their way. Well, you can get to God by crossing your legs and humming and holding your navel, or you can get to God by doing nothing, or you could get to God by only working really hard for him and never taking a break. And God's like, I made it very simple. You guys are complicating it through Jesus Christ. He did all the work already. He did that work on the cross, that finished work. So all we have to do is believe him. We're sealed with his Holy Spirit. And then the Lord guides us through our life. And things become challenging, but they also become more peaceful. We know that he's always with us. And I look at my life now and say, how did I ever get along with all those years without him? And I make many analogies from the pulpit of times that I've fallen down, beat my head against the wall, and I'm like, okay, that's how I did it. But that wasn't a good way to do it. See, psalmist, the psalmist, not just David knew how, how to have a relationship with the Lord. They spoke in those beautiful psalms about that relationship. Jeremiah 31, he looked for a, a forward to a time where God's word would be on our minds and on our hearts. Right? These, were, these were wonderful. When you love someone, you do what pleases them. Now, 1 Samuel 15, which we covered a few Wednesdays ago, to God... Love equals obedience. Now, some may look at that and say, well, that's kind of not fair. You know, the way that we love God and what he desires is us to obey him. Yes, he's God. He can do that. But the truth is that he's always looking out for our best interest. So obedience to God is a good thing because it, he looks out for our best interest and tries to keep us from hurting ourselves. Now, I'm just going to go back and forth with whole, the whole relationship thing. Uh, again, my wife and I, uh, when we bought our home, it was a disaster. Uh, there was not one flower outside, <laughs> and she was really interested in the outside, and I was really interested in fixing the place up on the inside. And we both worked at our respective chores, so to speak. But I will tell you now that we have garden beds all over the place. And I really, if I was a single guy, I probably wouldn't have one flower. It wouldn't have never crossed my mind. Maybe a nice lawn, but not any real flowers. And I will tell you now that... When I walk through the paths or up the stairs, I have her, her vines that are just kind of hanging and they get in my hair. And as I walk through uh, the hydrangea bushes and, and it, it's wet, I mean, it slaps me in the face. And I can't wear anything nice and walk through our home or our backyard without getting attacked by some type of plant. It's like that old horror movie, Day of the Triffids, when the plants attacked people. And the reason I don't cut them down is because I know my wife loves them. The reason why I continue to get attacked and harassed by these vegetation. And she says, I'm like, babe, why can't we cut it back a little? She goes, Joe, it's art. Look at the beauty of it. It's like a palette. Okay. 
but we have a relationship. And what she loves, I love as well. And I've learned to kind of love those plants. 1 John 5, I want to, or excuse me, 1 John 1. Let's go back to 1 John 1, 5 through 7. The second point. John says this, this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Look at these benefits. One of the benefits, which is very interesting, is that we're talking about our relationship with the Lord, and he says, we have fellowship with one another. As we walk in, listen, before I was a believer, I didn't get along with many people, you know. Um, There's still some people I don't get along with, but the list is a lot shorter now. But uh, one of the benefits of being a believer is the more we we acquiesce to him, the more we're more Christ-like, the more we get closer to each other. It's an added benefit of the relationship. So that's like a plus there. But the, the second point is, do I walk in spiritual darkness? Now, John doesn't pull any punches here. I love First John. It's very convicting. And I'll tell you that every time I read it, there's something that I learn about myself that I feel that I look in the mirror and say, gee, I can make some changes here. It's convicting. So if some of us are convicted today, don't feel bad because I'm just convicted as well, no matter how many times I read this. Uh, And then, you know, there's that issue again I need to deal with. But we walk in, in light or darkness. And again, it goes back to his word and conviction from God's spirit. In John's day, there were false teachers. Now, the false teachers in the Apostle John's day taught that because part of us is spiritual and part of us is physical, we can sin with our physical bodies, but then be spiritual with God. Now, that's called hypocrisy. And John had to to deal with that false teaching. Um, That's not true. We're we're three and and one. As God is three, we are flesh, we are uh, mind, and we are also spirit. But we are one. I'm the same Joe DiProsimo, but there's three different aspects of who I am. You see God's signature all throughout the, uh, the earth, uh, time, space, matter, you know, all that kind of stuff. So going back to this, do I walk in darkness? Even today, some say, I have my own relationship with God, and they're not walking according to what God has said. And then if you say something to them, you may be out of love, they may say, well, don't judge me. That's their way of holding you off. But again, they may be walking in darkness. We have to look at that. Um, There's some teachings today that kind of go into this and say universalism. You know, um, The Shack, the book The Shack came out. And now Rob Bell's book, Love Wins. It's a very nice title, but it's very deceptive. Uh, Basically, you can live any type of life that you want and God will accept you. If we're believers, we want to please him and we are filled with the Holy Spirit. So why would we live a life of sin? And we'll talk about a lifestyle later. I want to read... Uh, Matthew 7, three verses. Matthew 7, verse 21. Jesus says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Now we'll see the person's responsibility in the dialogue, then we'll see the Lord's responsibility in the dialogue. 
Verse 22, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Verse 23, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Pretty powerful. So make no mistake, the name of Christ is powerful. Things can be done in the name of Christ because there's power in Christ. But they may not be truly saved. That's one of the... Some of these, these scriptures, even if I just read them and I didn't explain them, they're very convicting. They're very sharp. They're very strong. And for those that, and I, I, I hear this, people who are not believers, well, Christians are a bunch of hypocrites. There's a lot of hypocrisy in the church, and I would agree with you. <laughs> That's your, your stance. However, everyone who calls themselves a Christian, as if they're living a life steeped in sin and hypocrisy and they really don't know the Lord, just because I say I'm a Christian, it's not like we go up to heaven and we have a, you know, a card reader like a credit card and we swipe it and he just lets us in. We don't get a card. It has to be from the heart. So I would say to the person who says church is filled with hypocrites, I would say that may be true, but you need to be concerned about your own salvation because God will deal with the hypocrites. Right? Verse or the third point, let's go back to 1 John. Uh, chapter 2, starting in verse 5, the third point. John says, But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected or matured in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Wow, that's powerful. That definitely uh, needs some explaining. The third point, is God's love perfected or matured in me? As a result, do I walk as Christ walked? Powerful stuff there. Um, if we're keeping his word, we're keeping his commandments, we know him. The love of God is matured in us and we walk as he walked. Now some may ask, but he was perfect. Uh, does that mean I won't sin? No, we will sin. There's an inevitability of sin. But every sin and every temptation can be handled on a case-by-case basis. So every day, we get up in the morning, we're deal, we deal with life, we deal with temptations, and we may do really well. And I would say this to the believer who says, boy, that sounds like really a difficult thing. Again, the in- inevitability of all the choices we make, probably trillions of them in our lifetime, we're going to sin. We're going to fall. We're going to have moments of weakness. We're going to succumb to temptation. However... We can take everything that comes our way one step at a time. And there are times that we can walk as Christ walked. Now, this is really important. Is the love of God perfected or matured in me? Because that's what the world is looking for. Again, I've done prison ministry as 20 years as a police officer. I've seen gang members. I've seen some of the toughest guys. I've actually befriended a guy who came through the system. He killed a man with his bare hands. Um, got saved later on. I, I don't know the circumstances. I think it was a mutual fight. I didn't really go into detail. But the bottom line is the toughest, toughest, roughest, big, jacked, you know, frightening-looking guys, are, they're building a wall. They're building a force field around them. Maybe something happened to them as a child. But everyone is looking for love. There's a phrase in one of the notorious Hispanic gangs, and they say, we are like family, a dysfunctional family, But that's their motto. We are like family. Maybe they didn't have it as children. Maybe uh, the brotherhood is so strong that they're the only ones who will look out for each other because no one did when they were young. I see the people with the most hate and the most rage, really, whether they know it or not, inside, there's somebody hurt them. There's a lack of love, and they're looking for that. 
I've seen the, the most toughest guys turn to Christ and completely change because they realize that there's value in themselves because God loves them. And when they really buy into it and understand it, their whole demeanor changes. And you wouldn't believe it. Son of Sam just came up for a parole again. Every time, you know, a lot of these guys in, in prison, they come up for parole and they beg, you know, the parole board, I'm really changed. I'm a born again Christian. You know, look, I can quote Bible verses. A lot of them are fooling the parole system. Son of Sam, David Berkowitz, repented, became born again, um, said, I don't want to get out of prison. I don't deserve to see the light of day. I have to, uh, I have to suffer the consequences of, of the sin that I committed on the earth. And they, he doesn't want to cause the family pain. So every time parole board, he comes up and he's his worst enemy. He goes, no, I want to stay here. And he's working with the other prisoners to bring them to the cross. So the point is that the, the roughest, toughest, most notorious people, if they really are born again, they will change. And the love of God will start to be perfected even in them. I love to go into the prisons. I don't have as much time as I did back then, but uh, it is an amazing thing to see what's going on in prison ministry. Okay, John 15, the Gospel of John, John 15, starting with verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Now, check this out. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Have you ever gone to a, um, or listened to a sermon where the pastor says, you know, you should be healthy all the time. You should be wealthy. God wants you to have all the riches, no problems, no sicknesses. That's a lie. Because every fruit or every branch that bears fruit, if you're a believer and you're, you know, the Lord is using you, it'll be pruned sometimes. I see my wife go with those clippers. She deadheads the flowers and she takes those clippers. And it looks like it hurts those, those I'm sometimes I'm like, ooh. That looks like it hurts. But what she's doing is she's taking off the dead portions of the vegetation so that they don't suck the nutrients and the water and the, the vitality out of the, the plant. Right? She does it to plants and trees so that what happens is it becomes healthy again and now uh, more fruit can be born from those branches. And this is a great analogy because even for us as believers, God will prune us sometimes. And pruning is not fun, but he's stretching us. You know, he's helping us to become better. And he's going to use us more because of that. I love that. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me. Abide means to live, to remain, to stay in me. This is a relationship. And I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. Abiding in Christ. Again, a non-fruit-bearing believer is an oxymoron. If we're truly born again, it is hard for us not to bear fruit. It is hard for, not, for us not to have feelings and uh, ideas of love towards the unsaved world. It is hard for us not to uh, just want to do something to bless him and be a part of what he's what, what his, in his kingdom, what's going on, right? So this is important to look at as well. The fourth point, let's go back to 1 John chapter 3, starting with verse 6. 
Now it gets, it gets a little hotter here. And this is good as believers. This is something that the church needs to read. You know, if we've been Christians for a while, it needs to give us some conviction. It needs to get us to get off our butts sometimes, our spiritual butts, off the couch, and to be a part of what the Lord is doing. You know, as the train is going, we want to be on that train, not still standing on the platform, so to speak. 1 John 3, starting with verse 6. Whoever abides in him, we just spoke about abiding in John 15. Whoever abides in him does not sin. I'm going to qualify that. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. For those who think that Christianity is a weak, uh, namby-pamby religion, they have not read the scripture because our Lord challenges us our Lord wants us to be better. He wants us to succeed in life. Okay? Not maybe with the way the world looks at success, but how God looks at success. So here's the thing. What are we practicing? Which is an indicator of what we are inside. Now, when I go to the doctor, I've been going to the same group for years, they practice on me. They're practicing medicine. And they do the best they can when I'm not well to help me to become well. So this is a practice. This is what they do all the time. And we have to ask ourselves, when we look at the Greek, because the New Testament was written in the Koine Greek, we have to look at tenses here. This Greek term is a present tense, practice. This is what we are known by, understand? So if we make a practice of sin, if our whole life is about sin, and this is our lifestyle, and we don't care to change, we don't care to get better, first of all, we are hypocrites, we are liars, Okay, and we are really not born of him if that's our lifestyle. So understand the present tense is a repeated, repeated, repeated action. As believers, we don't want to do that. So don't let that kind of freak you out a lot. Again, if we are living in the spirit, if we are practicing what the Lord tells us to practice, if we make it a lifestyle, then we're, we know that we're born of him. A lot of times our actions are a reflection of what we are inside. 1 John 2, 28. And now, little children, abide in him. Again, that word keeps coming up. And when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. What are we really inside? What does the word say? When we look at the word, do we stop in our tracks and say, Lord, what can I learn from this? I've, I've used this article before, 2009 Associated Press. The, the heading was, um, what's the heading? <laughs> I know the story. Okay, fake officer tries to stop the real one. Now, understand coming from police officer field, I'm imagining this event unfolding. And, what, and this happens a lot, unfortunately. These guys get an old police car at an auction, get a badge from the flea market, and they want to play cop for a while. Inevitably, they stop enough people, they're going to run into a real cop. So I could just see the, the fake cop, you know, pulling some police officer who's off duty, pulls him over, and he goes up to the car, 
and probably within, within 15 or 20 seconds, the real cop who's off duty looks at this guy and goes, you're not a real cop. And I could just imagine how one thing leads to another and the, guy, the real cop gets out of the car and arrests the guy who's pretending to be a cop. Now, un unfortunately, this happens a lot, especially young ladies. Uh, don't, start, don't stop for an unmarked car. You know, wait for a real police officer and a light bar to come and, and pull over. There's a little public service message for you. Most departments are very sensitive to that, and they understand that you will wait. Uh, but the point is that the real police can detect a fraud. Now, the average civilian may not call. This guy may get away with 20, 30 stops, and no one calls because the, the civilians can't detect the fraud, but the real deal can de detect a fake. So as we go through the scripture, we have to ask ourselves, am I the real deal, or am I playing a part? You see how this keeps, this keeps manifesting itself through the word. I tell you what, no one can study 1 John or John and really study the whole book and not have their lives transformed in some way. And I will say this, that God does not call us to three things. He doesn't call us to perform for him, to do little tricks. He doesn't call us to conform to the image of the world. He doesn't even call us to reform. And we even saw that in the Middle Ages. God calls us to be transformed into the image of Christ. Now, those words sound familiar, but they're vastly different. The first three come from the outside. The last one, transform, comes from the inside. You see the difference there? Right? And the first three, we can fool a lot of people with that. But the last one is the real deal, and it will emanate from us. It's not window dressing. The last and the fifth and last point, 1 John 2, 15 through 17. John says this, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Fifth point, how much do I love the world? This is a trap for American Christians, especially Western Christianity. And what happens here is that uh, Matthew 6 says that we can't have it both ways. We either love the Father or we love the world. There's no middle ground. So, fifth point, how much do I love the world? Now, the lust of the flesh is the desire to gratify ourselves in the body where the sin nature is present. Whatever gratification there is, uh, that's what we want to do. Things that are innocuous, like sleep. Sleep can lead to sloth, can lead to laziness. Sex can lead to perversion. If it's worshipped or gratified in an unnatural way. So even innocuous things, because of the lust of the flesh, can be abused. So he's be careful of the lust of the flesh. Two, the lust of the eyes. Whatever I see, I want. You know, those advertisements to remodel your home or to have a nicer car or to, you know, buy, you know, clothing or, uh, you know, there's certain models, male and female, how, who will display the clothes in a way that you think that if you wear those clothes, you'll have their body or something like that. This is a multi-million dollar marketing strategy to get you to buy their products. The lust of the eyes. The eyes can be deceived. Our eyes can fool us. They fool us every day. We just covered 1 Samuel where, uh, you know, God says to, the, to, to Samuel, 
Man looks at the outside appearance, but I look at the heart. I can see right through the facade. So that's really, really important. The lust of the eyes. Eyes can trick us all the time. Three, the pride of life. Now, I studied this in the Greek because I've seen it translated different ways. And I'm like, what is this, um, the pride of life? Um, I've seen it said different ways. If you really study the Greek, you understand that this is a way that we brag over the material possessions or the, the, the means of our livelihood to others. Check this out. This is the lust of the eyes in reverse. This is how twisted this is. The pride of life is that you want others to see what you have, whether your body or your clothes or your home or your car, and you want them jealous. Isn't that messed up? How many people do that? How many Christians do that? They make others jealous of what they have. That's the pride of life. That's problematic. And and there's a lot of it that goes on in our society. See, Satan offered all three of these temptations to Jesus, and he responded with the word of God. He responded with scripture. And I will tell you this, the more you hunger for what the world has to offer, the less you will hunger for your heavenly father. Don't fall into the trap. You know, God is good. We've heard the expression. But unfortunately, a lot of Christians say God is good only after uh, he blesses them. If my house flooded, as I was telling you about in the beginning, God is still good. That doesn't change. Notwithstanding what I have to deal with, God is still good. We have to be careful not to get caught up in that trap as well. I'm going to tell you this, that don't love the world. It doesn't mean don't be a part of the world. It doesn't mean to be uh, to hole up in the mountains with a bunch of sandbags and guns and like some of these separatists do and call themselves Christians. And I cringe when I read that. That's not what God's saying to do. We have to live on this earth. We're passing through. But the truth is where we spend eternity will really be our home. You know, we're here for a temporary time. So we should live accordingly. Don't get too attached to all the stuff that we see, all the trappings of this earth. And... I'm going to say this, that if you put all your stock in this world and what this world has to offer, you're on a sinking ship. I think we saw it with the storms, the earthquakes. Things are just going to get worse. And Matthew 24 is really going to blow this up. And if we're holding on to this earth and the things in the temporal world and, you know, it's all about saving for a house and getting the bigger this and the better that and, you know... um, if the economy starts to really tank the way the the forecasters are indicating, um, the dollar is going to seriously be devalued. We're going to work, 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 work like those little rats in the wheel. And we're still in the same spot. So don't, don't get crazy over that stuff. You know, who knows what's going to happen with a $14 trillion debt. Uh, in college, I was an economics major, so I do know a lot about that. Uh, And, and I'm just saying, it's only going to be a matter of time where a loaf of bread is $5 and a gallon of milk is $10. It's coming. You know, we can't escape it. Uh, And and I don't want to get too off the topic, but do a study on Germany uh, before World War II, right? The Deutschmark was seriously devalued. People were taking bundles of it to the store literally to buy bread. And that could happen here. So if you're going to kill yourself to work and, you know, it's all about stuff, there's going to become a point in time where it's going to become fruitless. And you're going to realize that it's, it's just vain. See, the Lord's kingdom is coming and this kingdom is sinking. And we have to make a decision which kingdom we really want to be a part of. It doesn't matter where you're from, what age you are. Uh, it's something to take notice of. Okay. I'm just going to say this as, as we really close this up. Um, I'm pretty intense about this stuff. But uh, again, from my perspective, appreciate where I'm coming from. 
I've seen death in its ugliest forms as a police officer. Always been on the road for 20 years. I've seen the car crashes, the T-bones with the, and I remember the images, a young girl, you know, just leaving work and boom, she's, our life is taken from her. Now I've seen, um, you know, the suicides, the drug addictions, you know, guy, young, 37 years old, takes a shot of heroin and, and he, it's, it was a hot load and, and he's toppled over. Young guy, he's got his whole life ahead of him. The freak accidents, the lightning strikes, people falling off of accidents, warehouse accidents. People die. There's, life is not guaranteed us. And I guess I'm really intense because I've seen it. We all have gone to funerals and wakes and they dress up the bodies and make them look pretty. I see them when they're mangled. You know, um, One car crashed, the guy was a pedestrian. I couldn't tell if it was a man or a woman. I had to go through his, his, his pockets uh, and find out, look for a picture ID. Uh, every bone was broken, uh, just a mess. Young guy, uh, you know, it's, this is, this is, you know, we, we think that we're going to leave here and we've got another 30, 40 years to go and life is just going to continue like it always has. That's deception. I don't care what age you are, it's deception, right? So, so understand that. So I'm very serious about this stuff. To the believer, including me, <laughs> reevaluate our relationships. As times get tougher, God is going to use us to minister to the unsaved world. Even my guys at work, they see the things that are going on and they talk about what's going on on the news. Is this the end of the world, the apocalypse? And a lot of them don't even have good information on the Bible. People are going to come to us and ask us questions. And if we're freaking out like the rest of the world and running around like chickens without a head, they're not going to come to us. Why bother? They're looking for something different in us. It's only when we reflect the light of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit that people say there's something different about you. And all of you, if you've been walking with the Lord for a while, have heard that at some point. And it isn't you. It isn't a show. It's the Lord is just doing it through you. If you don't know the Lord, 10 people, they say, so far have died just from hurricanes. I was out last night and, and I, showed, I looked at the trees. We have a lot of huge trees. And I said to my wife, I said, you know, I just read about a few people that just the trees, limbs breaking off and hitting them on the head, just killed them. Freak accident. I'm like, maybe we should go inside. <laughs> maybe it's time to pack up. Ten people already died just from hurricanes. It, it's, death, death doesn't give you an, an expiration date. It doesn't give you an appointment. You know, it doesn't say, well, you're young, we're going to spare you. Or you're wealthy, I'm going to spare you. It just happens like that. And there's no going back. So unbelievers, take, this, take what God says seriously. You know, just like Jesus put the world into two categories, he's going to put you into a category. Do you love him or do you hate him? And you might say, well, I don't hate Jesus. Yeah, but that's the category you belong to if you haven't accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And the end for you for eternity is not well. And I don't want to play it up. I don't want to, you know, capitalize or commercialize or, or you know, go into a, a fire and brimstone skit, but I think the choice is obvious, right? And the truth is, all we have to do, 1 John 5 says, he who has the Son has he eternal life. That's it. Just, it's a very simple thing to do. It's a decision. It's a, a matter of your will to lay down your, your, your will and to trust him as your Lord and Savior. It says automatically you're in the category of those that have eternal life. He who does not have the Son does not have eternal life. I'm not thrilled that Jesus only gives us two categories in a lot of the things, but I don't get to make that decision. I acquiesce to his will because he's God and I'm not. So in closing, I just pray that believers and unbelievers, we look at the message today, 
we take his words aggregately and we, you know, we pray about it and see what the Lord is showing us through, through this. Let's pray.